Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. In this episode, we speak with Brett Jacobson, CEO of MediaWorks, who are on track to become the number one independent digital agency in the UK. We talk about everything from the clarity of goals needed to grow a 200 plus person agency, to always having an eye on building the next team, to the calculated gambles that really paid off. Well, welcome Brett. Thanks for joining us. I think it's safe to say you became an entrepreneur from the outset, right from uni. Talk to us a little bit about what the start of that journey felt like. Yeah, so literally I founded MediaWorks straight out of university, kind of first job post you know, I think I'd worked in next stock room, had a few <laughs> Sunday mornings sleeping in there. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'd graduated from Northumbria University with a, a 2-1 in applied computing, which was, was quite a broad degree. So it was sort of, it was quite varied in terms of the different things you learned. It was, there was technical aspects of computer programming. There was more strategic elements, but there wasn't a sort of defined career path. So I managed to sort of... Uh, architect bumping into a fairly uh, well-to-do local entrepreneur who was a friend of my cousins by offering them a free lift to town, basically, (laughs) and then went in for the first beer. And yeah, basically met met Chris, had a conversation with him around the time he was struggling to acquire certain services, which MediaWorks, you know, went on to, to deliver. And then after about 20 minutes, he asked us if I knew anything about this Google stuff. I said, yeah, I'm an absolute legend at that. I think I'd had a 20-minute lecture at university on it at the time. <laughs> so far from a legend at it. And then he sort of said, well, come back in two weeks. Tell us everything you know. And so I went away, Google, Google, kind of figured out how the hell it worked. And then, yeah, went back, did a bit of a pitch to him and his two advisors. That was a Friday. We agreed to start work Monday. And I was 23, uh, like I say, living at home with parents, you know, first proper job. And yeah, we went from there 12 weeks later, we were running a pilot with a couple of his businesses that he'd invested in. One day a week, I was working on the business plan and in 12 weeks after meeting him, we agreed to go into business together. 50-50, I lent a little bit of money off my dad and, and Chris put his hand in his pocket. And from there, we kind of took the business forward, doubled it every year, the first five years, got up to about 50 staff. You know, so a real roller coaster ride of ups and downs. You know, no two days were the same, learned something new every day, but more ups than downs, thankfully, which kept us, kept us growing and, and going in the right direction. And yeah, it was it was just it was crazy just learning how to recruit, how to manage, how to coach, how to sell, how to deliver. I had to learn everything really on the job, and it was fortunate to have some quite good sort of advisors around us and Chris and his team who helped in the early days with things like balance sheets, P&Ls, and learning all the financial elements and and helping uh, coach on that front. And, and really just left me to get on with running the company and, and doing the fun stuff and growing that. And and then gradually over time, I kind of assumed more and more control to the point of kind of operating the whole entire business and then kind of where we've took that on post kind of MBO where we bought Chris out back in December 19. So yeah, it's been been a fun ride. And I'm right in thinking on that that original investment was like 25 grand. Yeah, it was about 25k and that was it. We just grew from there, privately funded, never took any more debt on. Had lots of opportunities, you know, had lots of people trying to give us money and, and, and throw cash at us, but we always wanted to do it under our own steam and that never really slowed us down. You know, we were always, because we're a services business, we, we never had to buy necessarily materials. We were never, you know, reliant on having a huge cash injection. We could basically grow under our own steam and 
that's what we did. Every time we we built up a bit of cash in the bank, we took it, reinvested in the business, and I think probably on five separate occasions, I took all the money we had in the bank and just spent it. And thankfully, three of those occasions worked out, which is why we kept getting bigger. So <laughs> calculated gambles, I used to call them. And, you know, we continue to do that to today. You know, in the past 24 months has been pretty pretty eventful in terms of, you know, from sort of March 20, when COVID kind of struck, that 18 months post, then we had a big decision whether to sit tight, hunker down, you know, do what a lot of businesses did and, and, and try to sort of trade it out or just go for it. And we decided the latter and, and went for it. And I think during 18 months, we tripled our revenue, we doubled our headcount, we opened four offices in three countries and, you know, majority of that working from home. And, and yeah, just absolutely went, you know, made the most of it. It's mad, isn't it? Like there's often this dilemma when people are scaling a business is to whether to do it organically and is that the slow route and less risky route? But actually, that's just a great example of it's not always the case. Like you can grow organically pretty rapidly, depending on obviously the the choices you make. But you've obviously got an appetite for risk to a degree there because taking the money out of the bank, it's sometimes that dilemma as to when's the right time to do that, when do you need to invest and when it's your own money the kind of the stakes are higher because you know how hard you've had to work to get that. Tell us some of the, your biggest wins. What were the, like, the biggest pivotal moments across the last 16 years that you've just kind of described there? Yeah, so, so absolutely. And I think rewards come from risk. That's kind of the way I've always sort of thought. And, and it's always been about taking, like I say, calculated risks that you were confident that, but that would drive the rewards. There was lots of opportunities where we could have sat tight or like you say, took money from people and made life a bit easier. But doing it the hard way, the organic way, I think was always the thing that appealed most. I think over the past 16 years, there's probably been kind of five, well, I say it, we're five-year periods. So there's probably been, we're entering our fourth sort of five-year transition where the business has constantly been evolving. And I think the key thing for me and what I see is my role has been really important is always be thinking about almost like building the next team. I'm constantly thinking about the next iteration and the next you know, what does three years from now look like and what does the team need to look like now or what does the team need to look like then and how does the business need to be structured and architect? And I think as long as you're always kind of looking 36 months ahead, you you can always be sort of making those smart decisions for today but be thinking about tomorrow. And I think that's something that inherently was always a big part of how I operated. I think some of those big, big pivotal moments, I think the first five years... For us, it was really important to like grow quickly because while we were small, we were vulnerable. So, you know, for us, scaling and driving scale was really important. So, being a, that first five years was really about being a specialist and being the best at what we did, scaling the business up to a point where we were a, a proper business. You know, in, in my mind, and we had some comfort. And that for me was all about building a sales team, building a commercial team that was, you know, we understood the value of a pipeline. We were kind of in control of our own destiny in terms of. We could drive our own growth, the way we sort of identified target clients, went out and pitched them and proactively went and won business to help drive the business. We were very controlled. The next sort of five-year period was about broadening our service offering and then becoming more of a, a broader digital partner rather than being one specific specialist or one specific skill set. And also investing in people, people systems and processes. So one thing I say to a lot of people is growth's not linear. You know, if you looked at our growth during certain periods, it would it would look very linear. But actually, if you step back and zoom into that and, and look at it over the big picture, there is some rapid periods of growth followed by kind of more considered periods of investment where, you know, I think if you don't have those kind of 
infrastructure investment period then what you start to find is if you grow too quickly the cogs start to come off and, yeah, you know and things start to sure. you know fly past you so i think for us we were really good at recognizing and, and investing ahead of the growth so that we were ready for the scale that was about to come and that's something that again at, at times where we've struggled to grow in certain periods that's been the opportunity where we've stepped back and said okay well we need something different to kind of facilitate the growth so really investing in the the infrastructure of the business the right people the right systems the right processes as you grow like zero to 30 staff was different from 30 to 80 staff, 80 to you know, 120, 120 to 180. There's been different things the business has needed from yeah. an infrastructure perspective that's enabled growth. That's a lovely language there. I, I was just about to say like the achievement piece yeah. and the proximity piece in, in Brett's map is like you've just gave us some lovely like examples <laughs> of that. That goal focus, focus, that like how do we achieve, but the people element of it. I know yeah. when we talk like that's a huge piece for you. I want to touch on that whole, you opened offices when other people were shutting them. Yeah. You know, like that period, like you had one office at the beginning and now you've got five. And actually it was a consolidation during and after COVID where people were going, especially in your space, Yeah. in that sort of digital space of like, oh, we can all do this remotely and you know, we don't need to be together. Talk us through that a little bit and why it was important for you to have local presence and have people coming together as opposed to all working remotely. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the one key word for all that is culture. So for us, I think culture is massively important and a, and a massive factor to the, the success that we've had as a business. We recruit people before skills or, or experience, you know, and I think for us, it's, it's, it's hugely important that we have the right people in the business with the right behaviours, the right attitudes that can help inspire others around them, bring them on, coach, develop, and also clients from that matter as well and engage the right way. So for us, culture was huge, even irrespective of the other regions. We opened our office up probably four months after the kind of pandemic hit, you know, got to sort of uh, about August time and, and it was like, we could just feel the business was like missing a step, it was missing a beat because we were all remote and we were just so used to being around each other and being a creative services business, you know, collaborating is massively important. I just think, yes, you can do that digitally. Yes, there's some amazing tools and software out there, but nothing beats being in a room with people and your peers and, and working together to achieve a goal. So it was really important for us to get people back together, which was one thing I'd say for culture. I think the second part of that was that almost pre-pandemic, we had a strategy that was focused around owning the North and focusing on our kind of key territories across Leeds, Manchester, Edinburgh, and Newcastle. And, and I think what we'd learned sort of in that previous 12 months to COVID was that if we wanted to work with the biggest businesses in region, we needed to be where our clients were. And even for a digital business, you know, it was, it's crazy to think that, but we want to be engaging with our clients at C-suite level. We want to be a trusted advisor. We want to be, you know, your bank, your lawyer, your accountant, media works. You know, we want to be operating that level. And to do that, you know, you need that proximity. You need to be where they are. So we'd already kind of had a strategy to scale into region. And I just think we did not allow COVID to put us off from that. We knew that was really important long term. We knew COVID, yeah, would probably change the world in the way we operated. But long term, we had confidence that that was still the right strategy and we should continue to deploy it if we wanted to realise our goals or ambitions for the business. And it was fundamental that we went into region. And I think what we got through regions and, and through those offices, first and foremost, we got we got access to new people, new talent. For us, we were fishing in a fairly small pond previous to that, you know, for specific, sometimes quite specialist skills. That was sometimes difficult to acquire in the Northeast. Opening up, you know, Yorkshire, Northwest, Scotland talent pools helped us 
access people that we would never have previously been able to. And people who wanted to work in an office, wanted to be part of a great culture, a great environment, and that needed to be physical. You know, I didn't want 50 people of 150 be sat in the kitchen talking to their cat five days a week. You know, <laughs> I, I, I like to get to know, you know, our people as, as people. I want to know what they did on the weekend. I want to know how their kid's birthday went. I want to know the wedding went, you know, where they're going on the honeymoon. And I think you don't have those conversations remotely. You meet for a purpose through Teams or a Zoom call and then you exit. And that culture erodes pretty rapidly. And I think for us, we knew that was one of our kind of superpowers. So to build those kind of mini media works in each region, but then also bring that together as a group was a new challenge for me. I'd never had that before. I used to be able to walk around everybody's desks who worked at MediaWorks and suddenly I couldn't because they were 100 miles away or 200 miles away. So things like our team meetings on a Friday, three o'clock, you know, when we bring everyone together, celebrate the wins, you know, talk about some of the losses, how we get better, how we'd be better next week. We would have every office dialing in, you'd have 200 people on a Teams call every Friday, beer in hand, you know, soft drink, whatever. And we'd, we'd really push those new regions together. So we had new services, new territories, new people, new regions, new clients, all kind of come together at once. So it was quite quite an exciting period, but new challenges to get over that we'd not had to face before. For sure. And I think having that clear sort of, you've said when you were recruiting people, you were quite explicit. You wanted to attract people who wanted to come and work in a collaborative environment. And I think that's a decision. And it's actually, it's great if you're going to do that and you make it clear. So then you attract the right people who also want that environment. Yeah. Obviously with the offices having space for people to go and work independently if they want to or, you know, to be able to zone out. Just thinking about that clear leadership, you were named by the Times as one of the top 50 most ambitious leaders, quite an accolade. Yep, so you've, does it. Yeah, <laughs> you've used the word ambition quite a bit. What does ambition feel like to you? And kind of how do you remain ambitious during like the challenging times? For me, you know, I think ambition is just central to everything. That is why I get up out of bed in the morning, you know, that's kind of what I go to work for, that's what I... That's what, what drives and motivates me. And I think we want ambitious people in media. We, we want to be ambitious for our clients. You know, that's our job, to be ambitious and push our, our clients to bigger and better things. And it's one of our core values. You know, I think for us, we had sort of six core values, which were very inward facing and sometimes maybe weren't applicable for every situation. But we did a bit of work sort of early part of last year on really sort of redefining those. And our core values are impact, ambition, innovation, connection. So we want to, you know, impact, we want to do it well, whatever we're doing. Ambition, we want to do it big, wherever that is. Innovation, we want to do it first. And connection, we want to do it together. We created those to apply to every situation, whether you're making a cup of tea or whether you're in a client pitch or whether you're in a quarterly strategy meeting with a client who's worked with us for 10 years. Like, you know, let's do it well, let's do it big, let's do it first, let's do it together. You know, so I think for us, that's really, really important. Ambition is just is so important. I think that's that's the thing that drives me. Just lots of opportunities. We could have sat back and just had a nice, easy, okay journey, which would have still been fun and would have still got us a lot of um, rewarding moments. But, you know, we're constantly looking for the next level and the next way to grow and the next way to where ambition needs to take us next. And I think that plays, you know, your massively high achievement from a motivation perspective, which doesn't probably surprise you or us, and yet also huge goal focus. How do you test that in other people when you're recruiting them? Because obviously everybody's motivated by different things. What does that look like? And have you had any instances where maybe people haven't shared that? And what have you done about it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, look, it's natural. 
as we kind of, I sometimes compare us to like a, a bit like a football team, you know, and we're kind of going up through the divisions and we're trying to push ourselves to get to the Premier League and then the Champions League and then and then push on on. And there's some people will come on that journey with you and there's some people won't. It doesn't make anybody or either people a bad person. That Some people want to be in a particular type of business and want to operate in a particular way. And there's others that want to continue to push themselves, move on, move up, develop, grow and, and move with the business and kind of, and we've had people probably for the last 10 years, 15 years, continue to ascend with the business. So my, my CTO now, a guy called Daniel Hogan, joined us as a graduate, he was employee number three. He's still now pushing the barriers of kind of where the business is going to go, a bit like myself. We've had other people join the business at entry level who are now managing teams of 10, 15 people. We've got other members of the exec team who've joined at midway management level who are now part of the exec team, you know, responsible for 60, 70 people. So I think we recognise ambition and we, we encourage it and, and we push it to develop where we spot it in all of our people. But I think testing for ambition, it's tough because a lot of people can say a lot of things in an interview yeah. and sometimes, you know, you never really get to know people until you've worked with them for three, four months and you've, you've tested some of those things in real world situations. And look, we don't always get it right. I've quite a few examples over the past 18 months at various levels where we've got it wrong. And I think the one thing I'm not frightened to do is admit when I've made a mistake. And I'm big enough and brave enough to hold my hands up and say, actually, you know, this isn't right. This is not working. And regardless of the level that that person's been brought in or the the fanfare that probably I created to bring this person in, you know, you have to recognise when that's not right for the business, the culture and, and everybody else in the business. And, and you have to have that conversation to, to take those people out of the business. And I think what's interesting from a recruitment standpoint and what we often see, when something's so ingrained in your culture like that is, when you ask questions at interview level, often you lead people unknowingly. Yeah. So you'll ask things like, you know, what's your ambitions? Tell me some of the biggest things you've done in your career. What's your goals? And that person naturally will respond to you in the way you're asking the question. So they'll say their goals, their ambitions, even if they're not motivated by that. And often that's the smoke and mirrors. And to be honest, that's why we're in business of getting people to do behavioral maps so they can't cheat the system. But usually it's not deliberately cheating it, right? It's like they get swept up in your enthusiasm and the energy in the room. And actually when they come in, it's not that they don't want to achieve, but they achieve in a different way. Totally, totally. And I think that's that's been tough for us because we're, because you're constantly trying to move to new levels and go to new spaces, a thing keeps coming to my head. To get somewhere you've never been, you've got to do things you've never done. So I'm constantly looking at the business and saying, okay, that, that process, that system, that team that got us to here, are they still going to be the ones that are going to take us to there? Yeah. And, and do they have to be shaped slightly differently? Do we need to introduce a new role to that team to facilitate the next level of growth or a different type of person? Do the team need training, coaching, development in a particular way? Or do we need a different type of person to come in and lead? And naturally, you will recruit people that are different to that. And sometimes, like I say, you, you get that right, which is amazing. You know, and we brought people in from other industries, which... We had to do a lot of in the early days because there just wasn't an established digital marketing employee base or candidate pool to go for. So we've got people from education background, got people from large sport and event background, we've got people from engineering, pharma, who've all kind of come into the digital space, but they've they've had the skills and the attributes and the personal behaviours that I wanted in them and that we knew were transferable. And then we've kind of gave them our product and business knowledge to help them just apply what they're good at in a new space, which we're not frightened to do. You know, a lot of people, I think in the past, particularly when you're recruiting big roles or senior roles, 
you kind of hang around waiting for the perfect person. Yeah. A lot of the time you have to realise they don't exist. So <laughs> you've got to create them. You do, yeah. So it's kind of like oh, get seven-tenths of the way there and know that together you'll fill the other three-tenths, you know, and through some of their investment and through some of your investment. So we're not frightened to take a gamble on a person if we think it's the right person to mould them and shape them into what we need them to be for MediaWorks. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? When you talk about that people having to be ambitious, ambition comes in lots of different shapes and sizes. Someone can be ambitious to influence a team and that can make them more people motivated, but it's still wanting to achieve, but it's just related to the people. So I think it's getting under the skin of like, how do you find out what that person's actually wanting to achieve? What does that look like? And you know, your high achievement, but you could have someone who's high people focused, like very affiliate driven. Yeah. That's what motivates them. They'll make great people who to work with clients or great people to manage a team and, and influence and drive people and get people to follow. And I think that's what, you know, we often get asked the question around leadership and what makes a great leader? Well, lots of different things and it really depends on what they're leading and yeah. and often that mix in a business is where the magic really happens. Our listeners are, are often business people who are going through a journey like you've talked about. Tell us a little bit about some of the, maybe the more challenging times that you've experienced and maybe some of the the things that you've then reflected on and been able to, to use moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we've been really successful, but by no means has there not been some big roadblocks along the way, you know, big banana skins. And I think there's probably been two or three key sort of inflection points along the way where, you know, and a lot of the time we're a people business. So those road bumps, as much as the growth and the success has been down to great people, there's been some road bumps that has also been down to people in, you know, whether that's mismanagement or misalignment in goals, expectations. But one thing that always sticks out in my head is like looking back to move forward. So there's a lot of the times where I think it's so easy to just overcomplicate things and constantly add layers and layers and layers to a business and try to overthink or over strategize certain plans and routes and ways to grow. And sometimes you can kind of think yourself into sort of you know, what is it, like numbness in terms of to inaction. And I think there's a lot of times when we've just had to like get to a point where we've realised we've went down an alleyway, just stop, sort of step back, reset, and go back to like our core values, core beliefs, and reset the business and then select the right path. I think people obviously, you know, something a lot of people talk about, but over-promotion of certain people, you know, who are great at the job, but maybe aren't great people leaders as well, I think is it was always a risk, it's always a threat. But I think having the balance to your team, as you mentioned earlier, with leadership. So if I think about our exec team, you know, I'm undoubtedly red. I think, you know, one of the guys is a massive yellow, one's a huge green, and one's like the most blue I've ever seen anybody in my life. Um, <laughs> so I, I'd we like... might need to explain the colours for the listeners in case they don't know what they are. <laughs> he doesn't actually physically mean coloured. I'm definitely not red, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I remember when we did some mapping with some of those guys, like you have got a massive mix, which is brilliant from a perspective of like that diversity of thinking and the ability to challenge each other. But actually with that is challenges, sometimes from a comms perspective. Totally, totally. And I think where we've hit some roadblocks in the past is where we've not had the right chemistry in the room where people haven't been comfortable enough to challenge each other. So for me, I always make it clear to everybody, whether it's the exec meetings, whether it's the operational board meetings, 
look, you know, in here we're all equals. So if someone's got an idea, if someone can spot a threat, someone can spot an opportunity, put it on the table. We might have a fairly direct exchange, but we'll leave the room and we'll all be friends again. You know, we're all on the team. So I think I read a book around mining for conflict. Like looking for conflict is where you kind of, you either root out any potential threats and you make sure you're aware of them, but also you find the opportunities. A lot of the time, conflict leads to opportunity. So I think constructive conflict, you know, like you say, professional conflict and, and looking for opportunities. So I think having that dialogue, being prepared to challenge each other in a constructive professional environment in a supportive way leads to the opportunities. And, and where I've found in the past that we might have hit some speed bumps is where there's not been enough challenge in the room, yeah. where there's been people kind of like in the trenches who I always say to them, look, you're closer to the to the people than me. If there's a problem with the way we're operating, if there's a problem with something we're doing, I, I might not see that. I, I won't say that a lot of the time. You know, you guys are the ones who can see these things as much as you can see the opportunities. And it's kind of like, you've got to be willing to bring it to the table. Otherwise, you know, we might hit a speed bump or we might, you know, hit a roadblock. It's an expectation though, isn't it? I think you've actually got to set that expectation with your leadership team that that's not like a nice to have. That's that's an expectation. You need to do that. And we kind of call it productive conflict or positive conflict, whatever you want. But it really is just the openness to debate, to discuss, to stimulate discussion, to challenge it, to actually, even if you think you're right, to be open, to be absolutely challenged on something, to almost benchmark it, pressure test it, to say whether that is the right decision and bring problems forward. And I think that's all based on trust. But yeah. you, and you've got to build that trust. It's not everybody gives trust initially, but sometimes you've got to build it and build it in within the team. And I think that's something we definitely say with some of the people that we work with. It's around like, actually, how do you how do you build trust with people who are very different to each other? Yeah, yeah completely. And I think for me, a lot of the way we've got around that is sort of non-work events, like social events. That's where you sort of get around the room, you get to know people, you get to know them for what they are, being in the business, physically being around people, having those sort of social chats the personal chats around them is where you get to understand what makes people tick and you get to understand and you do build trust through that kind of mechanism and i think one of the things that i would say is a, is a watch out for people as they're growing their business is one of the most difficult things to do in the world is is managing people through people so you know in the early days when we got up to about 50 staff but I was probably still managing the majority of those people kind of personally. Yeah. And you kind of get to the point where you go through certain levels and you have to build, it's just you have to build a layer of management because you become the biggest barrier to your growth if you don't trust people. And, you know, I know a lot of businesses who start at the same time as MediaWorks who are 16 years in and are maybe still five staff, six staff, and they've struggled for the growth and they're like, I don't know how you've done it. And it's like, because actually these guys as, as, uh, and people as MD and, and, and CEOs, they're the salespeople, they're the client people, they're the finance people, they're the creative people, you know, and they're, they're still trying to do everything in the business. And there's like, there's only so many hours in the week. So I got taught very early, one of the biggest barriers to growth is you. So the faster you can make yourself not important to the growth of your business, the quicker it's going to grow, which is a bit scary for a lot yeah. of people. So I used to go on holiday and we'd have like the best sales month ever. I'd be amazed. I'd be absolutely happiest person in the world. You know, and you get a lot of banter and a bit of grief off people that come back. They're like, stay away and never come back. But <laughs> that, that when, when MediaWorks used to grow without me, that was like the happiest I was because I knew I was doing my job because I'd yeah. built a business that was sustainable, was growing and teams that could grow without my direct input. So I think that's a big thing I see a lot of smaller business owners not appreciate. Like you don't have to be the centre for all great and good in your business. Like be more excited when you're not. And I think that's a great lesson and what I'm interested to pick up on next, I know that people will be thinking this, 
that's great to say and you've managed to do that organically what are some of the secrets to that because often people think oh well in order for me to get out of this seat and to maybe recruit five people I'd need to go and get investment or I'd need to go and do this talk us through almost like how you spent money in the early days and how you prioritised some of that because some of that recruiting of staff underneath you is a luxury to some people and they almost feel like it would take more to invest than they've got. What was your process with that, Brett? I think the key thing to have that ability to step back and invest in your business, you've got to have growth. The way you have growth is through sales, through commercial. So I think first and foremost, what we absolutely understood and appreciated was that we needed to be uh, unashamedly sales-driven. We were geared up for growth, so we had specific teams that would fulfill a certain job so that most businesses, I think, you find you on this roller coaster of, like, you do lots and lots of new biz, you win lots of clients, you end up with loads and loads of client work, then you think, oh, crap, I need, need some new clients. You go out and do new biz again. That and roller coaster, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and it's kind of up and down, up and down. For us, really quickly, we took one of our first gambles was to recruit somebody who was just purely focused on sales. And, and that's, again, tough for a lot of a lot of small business owners to do because you want to be the person out meeting every new client. It's your business. You know, you're very protective of the reputation. So it is a risk, but it's a risk we took and it's a risk that paid off. And I was still very much face of the business supporting this person, but I knew I had somebody who was waking up in the morning and going to bed at night just thinking about sales. And those sales were driving the growth that was then allowing me to invest in the business. And then it was about doing the same from a client service perspective because that's the next thing that's going to sap an owner, manager, a CEO, an MD's time is the client please. And having somebody just take care of all of those basic client sanitization, satisfaction scores, ensuring that all the simple stuff was being done then that allows you to go back and then reinvest in your delivery team to take them up a level. And then you go back to start again, and then we'd expand the sales team, and then we'd grow further. It would allow us to invest more in the business, more in the delivery team. And it was kind of like, like a virtuous circle cycle where the more we invested at the front, the more we could invest at the back, and it just kind of started to fuel its own growth. I love that. And I love that piece you said at the beginning, which kind of ties in with that of like, that first five years, there being that real sales focus. Yeah. And then the next five years was about like, how do we expand service offerings and how do we put new people into those roles? And I think I think that piece, you're absolutely right, that that roller coaster, and we see it, and you see it even, I mean, that never goes away, does it, that no. roller coaster? But what you're kind of talking about there is, you're sort of shortening the dips, yeah, aren't you? You sort exactly. of you reach a point and then you recruit. You reach a point and then you recruit versus I'm going to go all the way up, then we're going to come all the way down because we haven't got the people there. Exactly that. It's kind of like a, you know, if you see a radio frequency, yeah. isn't it? You yeah. kind of just want to, you want to make those peaks and troughs as, as aligned as possible. And that's what we did. And also alongside that, we had a real clear focus on who we wanted to work with and why. So right from the off, we always ran ourselves as a bigger business. So, you know, we used to have board meetings when we had three clients. It'll be me sat with my co-founder as sort of technically as kind of chair, you know, and his finance team. And, and that was it. We had the rigor each month. I'd produce a pack, you know, I'd look at my sales opportunities. I'd understand my pipeline. I'd talk about clients. We'd talk about people risk, look at the finances. And that was consistent every month. We had a 36-month kind of rolling game plan. So we'd always operate. So we'd, we'd kind of be like, where are we now? Where do we want to be? How are we going to get there? And there'd be probably 10 guiding principles, you know, probably five key strategic projects at any one time I was working on to just constantly be moving us forward. And I think the other thing I, I struggle with is when uh, businesses don't have a business plan. It's kind of, well, if you don't know where you're going, how the hell are you going to get there? So... That's like the first thing when I'm having conversations with my friends or people I know in these positions, it's kind of like you have to put a marker in the ground of where you want to be. 
which is really easy. The next easiest thing is to say, well, where are we now? Because that's really easy. And the, the only tricky bit is the bit in the middle the of how we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. But it's impossible to do the bit in the middle unless you know where you're going. And we've always had a clear focus of where we wanted to be on any kind of given 36-month roadmap. And I, I mean, that plays into your, you're 100% big picture, which means that visionary piece for you is easy. You can you can see it. Yep. It's then translating that and doing the bit behind and obviously getting the people who are really great with the detail to then be able to help you put the how and the what in. Totally. And I think in, in a service-based business, there'll be some people thinking, and we've talked a lot about recruitment of people and there's some great takeaways there for service-based businesses where really are trading time for money and you do have to recruit people in order to service clients. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of different ways of scaling. There's lots of businesses that, that, that productize and they don't necessarily scale through recruiting more people. But I think what's coming across really loud and clear is like that people bit is centric to your your organization and to your growth that you've had. So we know that you're massive on goal. What, what's the next big goal for you? What's ahead for you? Uh, I think, you know, where we're at at the moment for us, we're on a mission, as we chatted about, to kind of own the North. So, you know, I think we kind of stepped back. We stepped back about two, three years ago and we looked at our customer base. We looked at good clients. We looked at, you know, not so good clients. We're like, okay, how do we get more of them, less of them? You know, why are they not so good clients? Why did it not work? Why are these ones great clients? And what why is the relationship there and the delivery and the performance? And we kind of figured out that, you know, like with a lot of businesses, everyone thinks you need to be in London, you need to go south. And we were like, well, no, actually, you know, you look to the north, Leeds, Newcastle, Manchester, Edinburgh, top 200 businesses in each one of those regions. Those 800 companies turn over about 80 billion a year. So we figured 1% of that had advertising and marketing written on it. So we were like, well, the 800 million within an hour and a half <laughs> to two hours drive from where we wake up every morning, why the hell are we jumping up and down on trains, running up and down London, pretending to be this southern based business and what have you? We need to own the North, and I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, so um, I think it was season two where we architected the entire business plan off. But um, <laughs> we were like, we, we just want to be the stars. I want to see this business plan, <laughs> me too. <laughs> like, there's a lot of blood and guts on it. Um, we're like, we're going to be like the stocks. So we're going to own the North, you know, and we're going to be that agency that those biggest Northern businesses need and want to work with because they're having to go to London and buy these services because they don't feel like they've got a partner in the North. Like, we want to we want to plug that gap and, and join that pyramid between kind of Leeds, Manchester, Edinburgh, Newcastle. We you know, we do have a London office and we've got a lot of clients nationally. We always have, we, you know, since probably from day one, we've had national clients. So the other part of that plan is we want to be just unplayable in five of our kind of core sector specialist markets across kind of finance, education, construction, healthcare, and then and then retail. And that's kind of, if we ever do operate nationally, we want to be unplayable because of our sector knowledge. Because for us, we want to be the local partner for those businesses of choice. But if we do want to operate nationally, it's got to be because of our sector knowledge. And we kind of appreciate why people want to buy an agency like us and, and have kind of doubled down on that. So yeah, I think the next one for us is double down into our regions, establish the growth. You know, over the next 24 months, we want to take the business from just shy of 200 heads to about 400 heads. You know, that will undoubtedly put us as the number one independent digital agency in the UK, which is, is the aspiration. And then I think because we've got that regional office model where we're able to build those in across the UK, the next natural place for us to look is into Europe and North America, which is where we would want to go next. So we've already started analyzing different capital cities based on our sector specialists. And we've got a kind of a, an algorithm that looks at local market competitiveness, local definition of kind of the sectors that those top 200 businesses operate in. And then also we've kind of, we review them digitally to understand what markets kind of need digital support as much as others. 
So we should know, it might not necessarily be Amsterdam, it might be Stockholm or it might be, you know, it might not necessarily be New York, it might be somewhere else in the, in the States where we would want to go to Toronto and Canada or somewhere like first to put those international routes. But that's definitely what my horizon looks like. And that's the opportunity I want to give our people. You know, I want to give them the opportunity to get on planes instead of trains. Amazing. Exciting. One last question to wrap up. Yep. Because with every great leader, there are some blind spots. Where do you think you misbehave? <laughs> <laughs> and how have you become more aware of that? So I think, as we, as yeah, probably will say on my chart, but I'm, I'm, I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm a control freak, but I, I, I quite like... As much as I see big picture and I, and I want to focus on the horizon and I want to just, you know, push forward to achieving goals, there's times when I need a certain level of detail just to, like you say, trust, sleep and be comfortable that we're moving in the right direction. So, you know, I've probably been times when I've been overbearing on some of our leadership team. And, you know, and you, you dig, you dig, you dig, and you find you actually what you find is great. And you kind of say, oh, that's amazing. You know, I'm really, really happy. I'm, 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 I'm glad I pushed I for that. I can sleep so, now. Yeah, I can sleep now. <laughs> so I think there's probably times when I'm still, I'm still probably in the weeds more than I'd like to be. But then, you know, in hindsight, there's times when I've maybe not been in the weeds that's, you know, led us down a roadblock. So, you know, getting the balance between working on the business and being in the business, I think, is a challenge that every leader probably has and I absolutely have that challenge right now and just making sure that I'm continuing to just take people on the journey with us so sometimes like you say I'm, I'm looking at the horizon making decisions for that and I might be making decisions you know surrounded by people who maybe aren't looking at the horizon they're looking at you know what's in front of us now and I just need to make sure that I continue to bridge the gap between where I'm thinking about and what what they can see right now and make sure that I continue to bring people on the journey. And that appreciation that not everybody's the same, right? And everybody looks at things in different ways. 100%, yeah. That, uh, the biggest thing I recommend is people reading um, Surrounded by Idiots. Horrific title. Um, <laughs> I don't believe that at all. But yeah, Surrounded by Idiots is an amazing book where, like you say, you know, your reds, your blues, your greens, your yellows. Like, once I read that, so many things made sense about certain people and just how to engage with them. Obviously, it's a lot what you guys are trying to you know, help businesses with and bring to the market. And so I'm like, massively buy into all of that. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've loved it. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you, for, thank you for having us. It's been great. <laughs> Thanks. So let's wrap up with some key takeaways from Brett's episode. Brett talked about this real sales focus that MediaWorks had from the outset and that really placing emphasis on making sure there was someone in that sales role whose primary job was just to worry about how many sales came in right from the get-go and then continually building that sales team and that sales focus as they grew was a game changer for how they've grown over the years. He then talked about this 36 month rolling plan that they have and that even more than that, they actually had a theme in the business every five years that became a constant source of focus that they could go back on. Lastly, which I think was a theme across the whole episode was around this whole thought process of being simple and clear. You could hear that in how Brett talked about the company values, the goal of conquering the North, the goal of working with the top 200 businesses in each region, and really having that as a reference that people in the business could use to ask themselves the question, does doing what we're doing take us closer to that goal? Thank you for listening to Misbehave. Follow us so you don't miss out on other episodes.